Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Soho Radio Podcast, showcasing some of the best broadcasts from our online radio station, right from the heart of Soho, London. Across our music and culture channels, we have a wide range of shows covering every genre, along with chat shows, discussions and special broadcasts. Here is just one of our recent shows. To catch the full show, head to our Mixcloud page or listen live at SohoRadioLondon.com. Five loves of autism in 20 seconds. Five levels, did he say? Five levels. All right. Okay, so level, all right, let's plan this out. Hi, and welcome to Third Waves. Third is a platform that amplifies underrepresented voices through print, events, and on the air waves. We integrate the intersections of culture and activism, bringing you interviews and discussions with guests who have knowledge and lived experiences on the topic at hand. I am Tribe, DJ, radio host, and music editor at Third. I am Rona, stylist, creative director, and founder of Third. And I'm Daniela. I'm a writer, musician, and producer. In this episode, we'll be discussing neurodiversity, a buzzword that has increasingly come to cover conditions such as ADHD, autism, and dyslexia. We want to explore what it means to be neurodivergent and look at how it shapes the way people move through the world, creativity, mental health and more. We will be delving into the personal experiences and speaking to experts to get a better understanding of what it means to be neurodivergent. Talking to us about some of these issues are Tyler Grant and Timmy Satire, both who are neuro-minority advocates. Tyler Grant creates content to challenge the preconceptions of autistic adults and empower them to self-advocate. Diagnosed autistic at 17 off the back of a mental health crisis, Tyler aims to support other black people who are part of a neuro-minority group in their personal development. Tumi Satire is the founder of The Black Dyspraxic, which explores the intersectionality of race and neurodiversity. Tumi is also a researcher in dyslexia at the University of Lancaster. Before we get right into the show, we just wanted to remind all of our lovely listeners that this show now exists in two formats. If you are listening on Soho Radio or Mixcloud right now, you can look forward to a selection of music from and influenced by cultural diasporas and a high-energy mix at the end of the show. And if you're listening on a podcast platform, you can enjoy listening to our voices offline and follow our show on Spotify, iTunes, Pocket Cast, or wherever suits you best. Thank you to all of our listeners who fed back to us and helped this new format come into being. This track is called Autism Wave by Coaster. Hi, Tumi, tell me a little bit about yourself and how did you get into neurodiversity advocacy um, and what exactly you do? Hey, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. 
I'm really glad to be here. My name's Timmy. I work as a research assistant for the University of Newcastle. In my spare time, amongst other things, I have a page on Instagram called The Black Dyspraxic. So I advocate for um, neurodiversity, but mainly um, focusing specifically on the intersectionality of neuro-minorities. So I was diagnosed with dyspraxia at the age of four, um, and I've only started the page, it's, it's not even a year um, long. I think I started the page in November 2019, um, and this was off the back of being invited to an event called um, Through the Lens, and at the event, it was held at Cards Business School, by a CIG called the Diverse Creatives. And basically for Black History Month, we were talking about um, being black and having learning difficulties. Um, so like dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia. And it was interesting because even though I hadn't started the page, like uploading pictures and stuff onto that page, I had already created the name, the Black Dyspraxic. But that event, it was well attended. It was my first like speaking engagement, speaking about the intersectionality of dyspraxia and race. And from there, I really understood that, okay, this is what I need to do. And since then, I've just been beating the drum and raising awareness. Oh, that's awesome. You said that you got diagnosed at, what was it, four years old? Yeah. And um, how did that come about and how's it impacted your, the way that you've moved around through the world? Really good question. Um, so it came about really because my my birth was quite significant in the sense that significant in the sense that there were a lot of issues. Um, I couldn't breathe for a significant amount of time. The doctor thought that I wouldn't be able to see here and just do basic life things. And um, my milestones, like for example, it took me like 18 months for me to walk, for example. Um, I used to struggle to talk. When I was younger, some of my aunties and uncles thought I had Down syndrome, for example. So essentially it was very clear from a young age that I was different, but people weren't able to put a name to it. So I had an assessment at the age of four with educational psychologists, pediatricians, and other experts. And they said, you know what? Um, the diagnosis was dyspraxia that they gave my parents. And so we haven't looked back any since. It's impacted me positively because I often say to people that I knew I was dyspraxic before I knew I was black. Um, I knew that there was, because I knew that I was significantly different to other black people. Um, dyspraxia, another name for dyspraxia is it used to be called clumsy child syndrome. Medically, medically now people call it developmental coordination disorder. So there's an issue with coordination. And if you think about black culture and what black people we we dance, every black person has rhythm to a certain extent. You know, our our guys we love to play football, basketball, or you're playing Xbox and PS and PlayStation, all these things that I'm naming require a certain level of coordination. And if you can't coordinate yourself properly, 
you appear different to everyone else. So, for example, another big difference is when I was in Sunday school, when you used to do actions to dance moves and stuff, it was clear that I did the actions quite funny. I used to run differently. All these little things. How do you think that your experience being neurodivergent, being dyspraxic, intersects with this notion of masculinity as well as black masculinity specifically? As a black man, society tells you that you always have to have it together. Be strong. You can't afford to be vulnerable because people are leaning on you. Um, You need to be a support system to people around you. But this Brexit kind of debunks all of that. Because for me to access my support system, I need to tell the people in my life, I need help. Even simple things like tying my shoelaces and cufflinks. I have to reach out to my sisters growing up and say, can you help me with this? I'm finding this difficult. This is tough or I've had a bad day. Because one of my coping mechanisms of dyspraxia is vulnerability. And so that has allowed me to think and to act beyond the notion that men cannot be vulnerable. Also, people that are dyspraxic are often good listeners. They're quite empathetic. They, they're they quite in touch with their feelings. Again, this is not a stereotype that black men really have. But again, for me, my dyspraxia kind of turns all of that on its head. And I really like it because it makes me a bit different. It's also part of what you're saying that men who are affected with, say, dyspraxia, it's possible that they would face even more pressures because there are these societal pressures of certain behaviours that we would expect from men and women. There's more support in a way or more understanding that's needed there to like break down almost two barriers. One is this gender expectations barrier and the other one is understanding what you know something like dyspraxia actually is. Yeah, let's give you another example. Very, very good example. Men are supposed to be the people that are good at DIY. People that can change tyres and all those. People with dyspraxia are struggling to even drive. Now you want to tell them to, as a guy, can you change a tyre? Do you understand? I find DIY and the concept of putting things together from IKEA very challenging, very confusing. But as a man... Those are gender stereotypes that that's what men are supposed to do. I feel like you really hit the nail on the head in terms of illustrating how stereotypes in general is damaging to individuals because I always find this discussion quite difficult to even sometimes for myself to make sense of because sometimes stereotypes can be proven true. But like on an individual case, any type of generalization or stereotyping is damaging and and I think yeah your example there was just yeah illustrated that that is a good point that you raised up in terms of how it intersects with the black identity how have you been able to navigate that as a person of African heritage how's your family supported you and what was their viewpoint really good question I think it's positives and negatives so one positive was it made me realize that my identity, my ethnicity is not defined by my ability to be good at sports. It's not defined by my ability to dance, you know. I knew from a very early age that academics was my thing, studying was my thing. And that was really good for me because I felt like the way society is set up, we don't really tell 
our young people that not that dancing and being good at sport isn't great but there's more that can define you so that was really good for me it was difficult trying to explain it to friends and people in the community because there's still a lot of stigma people didn't really understand they were like ah dyspraxia like but didn't he do really well in GCSEs or for a very very long time even though I had dyspraxia I tried so hard to be like everyone else but it was clear that there was differences there was just a lot of that in the community my my mum and dad showed me a lot of support but they spent a lot of time explaining myself to loads of different people have you been able to express your interests and express the ways in which you as an individual exist and allows you to still do what you do and be who you are? Just because of the way we've we've spoken about these differences, because we call it a learning difficulty, we just think it's to do with academics. But my dyspraxia causes me to be quite empathetic compared to most guys. And that means having the ability to be vulnerable to be open with my emotions means that meant that i have a lot of female friends just being able to just talk through stuff that i would much rather have a two-hour conversation with people than a 90-minute football match because i was better at talking than i was at playing football but there's still challenges because it's not just learning this actually affects the fact that the way I process information, my ability to organize things, my ability to keep a clean and tidy room. All these things, they're challenging. And a lot of people just don't understand it. I had an uncle just ask me a few days ago, you're 28, why can't you drive yet? Driving is something that I want to do by God's grace. What he felt to understand in that moment is that because of coordination, Driving is something that a lot of dyspraxics worry about if they're able to do it. It's a difficult thing because there's a lot of gross and fine motor skills involved in driving. But he still felt like at 28, I should be driving. And that's not the first time I've heard that. I feel like that almost touches on some of these questions about sort of hidden or invisible or when it comes to like an employment context by not having as much understanding like you know job applications that say must have driving license I mean that can exclude people beyond you know people with dyspraxia yeah definitely in some ways it's discrimination right but the job market is a very interesting one because do you disclose the fact that you have a neurodifference? Especially as a black person, they're already going to give you prejudice because of the color of the skin. Do you now disclose it that you're dyspraxic or dyslexic? That might create a level of bias as well. And I spent a lot of times in my interviews having to explain what dyspraxia is. And literally, when I was looking for work for my current job, I spent eight months looking for work and I was like you know what I'm going to be honest I'm going to tell them I have dyspraxia because I want people to accept me for me and just employ me and if they know my difficulties they'll know how to support me and everything how naive I was and I got to the point I wasn't getting job offers and I stopped so I stopped disclosing it and I said you know what I'm going to disclose it once I get the job offer in a few weeks, I've got three job offers. Like A lot of employers don't realise that the government actually gives support, access to work. They pay a majority of... They, 
employees get reimbursed for supplying this stuff. And I know some of the support is minimal, but the government does offer some help. But it's ironic that people who are neuro-minorities have issues with work because for me, and this is why advocacy is so important, if you understand that, yes, dyslexics or dyspractics or autistics may be bad at quite a few things that normal people are good at, but there's going to be a few things that each dyslexic or dyspractic are really, really good at that could add so much value to your business. There's a lot of evidence out there that um, dyslexics, for example, make great entrepreneurs. You know, a lot of the most famous entrepreneurs in the world, the Bill Gates, the Steve Jobs, Richard Branson, Theopovitus, the Asian guy from Dragon's Den, they all have dyslexia, they're all on the spectrum. But now companies need to understand, okay, how can I utilize these talents to actually improve my company? Do you understand? How can I actually leverage their talents? Okay, empowering new minorities is different from any other disability because it once you empower them properly, you can actually see a difference in your workforce as well, a difference to your company, a difference to your society. I'm another example, Greta Thunberg, the person that advocates for climate change, we all know about her. But you know she's a near minority. I think she has autism with ADHD. And that's the power of of being a near minority. And in some literature now they discuss, they they describe their difference as a superpower. And that's why it's so important that we need to talk about it. So sometimes I kind of think like, what would the black community look like if around the world or even the UK we identified 50 or 100 dyslexics, dyspraxic people and we offered them their support that they need to fulfill their dreams. What would not their lives look like but the black economy as a whole? For me that's a different perspective on supporting black businesses but that's what I'm passionate about. You mentioned about the intersectionalities of the black community. Where do you think it's falling short and how else do you think we can approach this? I think it's falling short across the board. So, for example, the criminal justice system, we know that there's an overrepresentation of neurodivergent, or should I say neuro-minorities, within the prison population. We also understand there's an overrepresentation of BME individuals in the prison population as well. Okay, how can we reduce that? Sometimes we deal with race separately and we deal with neurodiversity separately. But actually, we need to overcome that and we actually need to think about these two issues and bring them together to develop effective strategies. Another example, if a black child misbehaves in school, they're likely to be called stubborn, is lazy, doesn't listen, doesn't pay attention. If a child does exactly the same thing but just has a different ethnicity, oh, yeah, maybe your child is autistic or has ADHD. Unfortunately, black people come from economically deprived backgrounds. In the UK, despite the fact that we have the National Health Service, you still have to pay for a diagnosis of dyslexia dyspraxia or autism if you're not in full-time education. Now, if you've got so many other things to do with your money, that's not going to be a priority 
on your list. And guess what? People from lower socioeconomic backgrounds that maybe didn't even have the support to get them to university in the first place lose out. And I think it's a shame. Another example of the intersectionality is looking at people who come from less social economic background. Their schools that they go to will probably be state schools, bigger class sizes, for example. But if you come from a middle class or upper middle class background, you're more likely to pay for private school education. If you're in a school where you have smaller class sizes, the teachers are able to pay more attention to you and therefore give you the support that you need. But generally in schools where the schools aren't great and and the schools where pupils are oversubscribed, the support for people who are neurodivergent is not there. And it's people that have these learning differences like I do miss out. Your outcomes and what you are able to achieve if you have a learning difference is very impacted not just by your race but your socioeconomic status that's why people like bill gates and richard branson are used as oh this is what you could do or this is what you could be like if you're dyslexic or dyspraxic but however these guys came from white middle class families so we need to have an honest conversation about what really is going on and the social issues that are interacting. You've painted a very vivid picture about how work needs to be done across the board to strengthen people's understanding on these issues. First of all, the problem of having to pay for a diagnosis. Um, Second of all, the fact of having to pay for it and whether that's something people would choose to put their money on. And then, you know, looping back to previously what you said about the sort of discrimination that there is in regards to various conditions, like there's just on every step, there's, there's just plenty of work to be done still. There's so much work to be done. Fortunately, the UK government is becoming more aware, but I'm a British-born Nigerian. I need to ask myself, what would have happened if I was born in Nigeria, if I was born in Zimbabwe, or if I was born in Jamaica or Bahamas? And if you think about that and you realise that actually neurodiversity and neurodifferences, it's not just a UK issue, but it's a global issue. The only reason I'm here is because of globalisation. I could have easily been born on the motherland. There's so much work that needs to be done globally. Is there other things that you feel like needs to be considered when talking about dyspraxia? And I also wanted to ask as well about the label itself, neurodiversity. What is your thoughts on that? If you don't understand the purpose of a thing, it's easy to abuse it. So for us to understand really what's going on with neurodiversity and the labelling, it's very important for us to look at the origins and why it came about. So just a brief history lesson. Neurodiversity was a term coined by a social scientist who lived in Australia She was actually on the autistic spectrum herself, Judy Singer, and she published this term in the sociology thesis in 1999, I believe. What she was trying to say is actually neurodiversity is a subset of biodiversity. Biodiversity just describes humanity and like organisms and how we live together that another way we can break it down is neurodiversity and what she was trying to say is actually no two brains are the same we're all different 
we're all neurodiverse because neurodiversity just means a variety in our brain makeup. No two brains are the same. There's, there are all variations in how we we work genetically and environmentally, and therefore we are all neurodiverse. So what would actually be a more accurate term would be a neuro-minority. And neuro-minorities would be to label people where the way their brain works is significantly different from the majority of the population, and therefore there are neuro-minorities. Or another way that you can that you may hear the term is neurodivergent. That means that our differences or the variation in our brains have diverged or have deviated significantly from the social norm or what society considers normal. Again, those those labels are still problematic because what is normal, right? But those are just different ways we can look at it. The reason why it gets problematic is because if you look at the way systems like the our educational system and employment system work, everything was created for the newer majority rather than the newer minority. Remember, this term was only coined in 1999, so it's 21 years old. And this is still a very new phenomenon that the world is just getting to grips with right now. I hope that makes sense. So we're all neurodiverse. This, whether you have dyslexia, autism, dyspraxia, or you don't have any of those conditions at all, we're all neurodiverse. So that's the message that neurodiver- a true neurodiversity advocate would be talking about. But what you're trying to do is you're raising awareness of neuro-minorities. What you can see from her work is if we suppress neuro-minorities, you are missing out of the richness and diversity and the social cohesion of culture, that a good society, a good culture is able to reach out from all these variations and differences. Kind of the same way that we love multicultural societies. We love societies where there's diversity in ages or diversity in nationalities. That's the same way where a good society wants to promote diversity in how brains work. I'll go on to, I guess, our final question. As we mentioned before, you're an advocate. What does advocacy look to you and what could people do to also support or show allyship to neurodivergent minorities? Advocacy for me just means not being afraid to have the conversation, not being afraid to talk about it. Anybody that I speak to, when I tell them that I'm dyspraxic and I explain to them what dyspraxic means, that for me is advocacy because I'm raising awareness. But advocacy can mean so many things to so many different people. We can advocate on social media. We can advocate in doing things like this. But you don't have to have a page for you to be involved. It's just the willingness to have the conversation, the willingness to understand, the willingness to educate yourself. It's really, really important. The same way we talk about being an ally to the black community, read it up and stuff and find the information. Google is everybody's friend. Take time to read up on autism, read up on dyspraxia, read up on dyslexia, you know, 
find out what it's about if you don't have time to read up like follow some of those pages don't be afraid to ask questions and just being being um, ready to listen being able to offer advice and not trying to conform everyone to a box and those are my few ways thank you very much for talking to us and sharing your viewpoint as well and your experiences where can people find you if they want to look into the work that you do you can find me mostly on instagram under the black dyspraxic and on twitter the black dyspraxic those are the channels that i'm on for now so yeah thank you so much for having me on as well this track is by joiner lucas off his album adhd and the song is called isis featuring logic Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or better known as ADHD, is a mental disorder that affects an individual's ability to focus, causing them to move around more frequently. Wow, Tribe, that was such an interesting discussion we've had with both Toomey and Tyler. Such a wide topic as well. Right. Do you know what? Both of them spoke about this, but when, when they were talking about the the umbrella concept of like neurodiversity and biodiversity and there being as many different brains as there are people, it really, really reminded me of this quote. I think it's Judith Butler sort of paraphrasing Simone de Beauvoir talking about sexuality. And the, the quote is something to the effect of like, there are as many sexualities as there are people in the world you know we talk a lot about breaking down binaries and stuff like this and I just can't help but feel like you know all of these sort of ways of thinking are connected you can really borrow that kind of principle to apply it onto a lot of different things yeah it's true I've been reading this book by Janira Nuremberg called Divergent Mind thriving in a world that wasn't designed for you and in the book there's a bit where she says As a society, we're crumbling by staying stuck in an outdated factory-inspired mode of operating that simply does not work with a large demographic of people we call neurodivergent. So what she's basically saying is kind of similar to what you said, recognising all of us have differences and adapting our society to fit into these different ways in which we are different. Applying that as well to what we're seeing around the world with like Black Lives Matter and disability rights and even the different class systems and patriarchy. It's about recognising that, you know, our system needs to update itself with the way that we incorporate all our differences. Yeah, no, it is all connected. Um, yeah. And sorry, going back to that quote, I, does she say a factory inspired world? Yes, she says a factory inspired. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's just so deep, isn't it? That is I mean, point, right? <laughs> I feel like it just underpins this thing that you have to think about when there is a status quo or a system or a a methodology in place I mean I'm a big person for methodology don't get me wrong but like whenever those things are there you need to examine like who designed it and why was it designed and who was it designed for and yeah is it outdated is it serving some people than others or does it come from complacency because sometimes there are these things that are just like people just doing it in a way but because nobody has bothered even looking at whether it's the best way to do things for like 200 years yes exactly exactly and that's what we I guess are in various ways trying to break down now yeah all right and this song came out this year and it's by Domo Wilson and it's called Autism Ain't Stuck in Nothing again it has a unique perspective on the idea of autism so I hope you enjoy (laughs) 
kissed her head and kissed her cheeks. Okay, so some news about third. We are working on a new issue and we hope to be bringing that to you very, very soon. But we need your support. So please keep your eyes peeled on our Instagram, follow us there and also the website where you can find out some details about the fundraiser we'll be doing and the opportunity to pre-order and support. We're going to go into a mix shortly. And before we do that, some thanks to our amazing guests. You can follow Tyler on social media on YouTube at Autistic Tyler and to me at The Black Dyspraxic. Remember, now you can find us all on the major podcast platforms. So please follow us on Spotify, iTunes or Pocket Casts or wherever you listen to stuff. We love hearing from our listeners. So please get in touch with feedback or to say hello.